Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. podcast everyone this is your host dylan scott and today i have one of the ogs in the high rocks world on here my buddy my friend a great racer a great coach marcus friesen so he was the initial winner of the very first bcf we got the race together in leipzig at the world championships there and since then marcus has been all over the place um just with his his coaching helping grow the sport and what we want to do is we want to take a little bit of a dive and look at some of that today so marcus how you doing this well Morning for me, afternoon for you. Afternoon for me. Thanks for having me, brother. Um, yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to the chat. Uh, let's have some fun today. Yeah, man. So like with everyone on here, I've always gone back to the very beginning to kind of look at their sporting history. Um, and while we've had a lot of conversations, I know some of your sporting history. Go ahead and just lay it out there from like early on. What got you first working out, sweating, putting in some effort? Yeah, I think the very beginning was at the age of six where I started cycling. So just a random guy in my school class did some cycling races. I don't want to play like soccer like everyone else is doing in Germany. So I joined him for a training session. It was fun. So we just were in a little park doing some bike obstacles and things like that. And from there, I just hopped into into cycling training, um, did that for 11 years. So Grew up with that sport, ramped up volume there, did a lot of races, um, and joined like the German national team at the age of 15. Um, drove for them for like two or three years, um, up to like 17, 18. And yeah, I mean, then honestly, some other things got interesting because when you're just in that training situation and race life all year long and you see all other people are going partying, whatever. Um, maybe that stuff is in that moment more interesting for you. And yeah, at the age of 18, right around that, I stopped cycling, went out of that um, party professional for like two years. Had some fun and some wild days there. Um, but then just realized, okay, I'm missing sport and that structured life. I, I missed competing and don't want to just waste my time. Um, and at that time, I worked beside school in a gym. And did a one-year internship there and things like that and searched for a sport I can do besides school, um, besides my work in the gym and everything. Um, and through the search there, I find powerlifting. Um, realized, okay, I can't be competitive with like three to four training days per week. Jumped into that. Um, did that on a higher level, like three to four years long in the junior categories. So got like European champion there, national champion there. Um, but that started to be boring because squatting, benching, deadlifting all week okay. long, all year long was pretty simple and pretty basic and pretty boring after a time. Um, and then I saw like a Netflix documentation about CrossFit and said, okay, let's do that. 
um, joined the CrossFit gym, started training there. Um, yeah, and did that for like two or three years afterwards. So ramped up training volume there, jumped into two sessions um, a day, did some competitions. Um, and then we were in a prep for the CrossFit um, German throwdown, an official event where I wanted to compete or the goal was this year to compete in the elite field there. So I trained for that pretty heavily um, and injured myself on a rope climb. So I jumped down, turned my ankle, everything was destroyed in there. Um, so I couldn't really train. I mean, we went back to the gym the next day and just did seated workouts with dumbbells and things like that. So we still worked out, but couldn't really prep for a high rocks competition. And while I was laying in bed, I just find out that high rocks is running a virtual championships, like six, seven weeks after my injury. And I said, okay, we can compete in CrossFit this year. So let's sign up. Let's have some fun there. Let's see where we are. Let's see how high rocks works and what they're doing. Um, I think that was back in 2020 yep. when COVID was hitting. So back then, all the gyms were closed. Uh, no competitions were happening. And High Rocks was running that virtual championships competition where we had, like I think, five online workouts, which we had to film, put up our scores. And then they just built up a leaderboard in the first bar. Four, four guys and four girls went into a final, which was streamed from all over the world from each athlete, from their gyms um, to High Rocks into their studio. So we did that competition. Um, by luck, I think I won that um, because I think the workout was perfectly for me. The whole layout was perfectly for me. And I was prepped for just workouts like that due to my CrossFit years. Um, because that virtual championships was definitely different to an actual High Rocks competition, but don't have to dig too deep in there now. Um, so yeah, I won that. And from there, I just got soaked into that High Rocks world. So High Rocks invited me afterwards to race their Elite 12 World Championships year race this year, um, which happened also in the COVID time. So we raced World Championships race um, with some known guys from, from the fields um, and just a, in a private venue or something where... Mm -hmm. We have been alone with just a few spectators. So each athlete could bring like one person and the high rock stuff was there, was there and that's it. And that was my first race. And since then, yeah, I'm in the high rocks world. And now we're sitting here like two, three years later. Yeah. So man, like it's interesting how you're one. The, so you come from, you start off cycling. All right. Long, like road right. cycling, not you want to track cyclist or anything like that. And then to powerlifting. So, like, I've seen, I've seen old pictures of cycling markets, and like, you were, I mean, you were built like, yes, guy, <laughs> you were built like a damn bamboo pole, like you're a little bitty dude. So, for that, you said at six years old, that was when you first like, yes, the race my first year at six, yeah, and first race at six. So, what are you training like as a six year old, as a seven year old, and then? What are your parents at, at that point thinking? Like, was there any background within the family of having athletes or anything to that effect? No. So we didn't have any athletes in any sports in the family. You know, some guys played soccer, but that's it. Um, it's funny because back when I started, my parents said, okay, you can do that, but we're not buying a bicycle. So <laughs> I went into that training with like old mountain bike and I was lucky that the coach I trained with was really into it. And um, so he was early retired. 
um, just just trained some kids for cycling and was a cyclist by himself for many years. And after the first training session, he said, okay, I see a lot of potential. So what he did was he gave me his old bike, um, road cycling bike. So I trained with that one, um, got into that. And after time, after my parents realized, okay, I'm really into it, they pushed it really hard. Um, so they were really into it, supported me like crazy. So after all those years, uh, or in all those years, they just drove to like 50, 60 races with me per year, spent a lot of money, spent a lot of time. You know, we didn't went into holidays or something because they were so into it and supported me so much, what I'm really thankful for. Um, so they supported it a lot after time um, and how the training looked like in the beginning. I mean, the first year or two, it was just being at the park for like two or three, four times a week and just did a few cycles um, around the park for like 30, 40 minutes. And we just worked a lot on cycling techniques so how to drive curves, how to overcome obstacles like, I don't know, little lanes we had to drive on, jump over things with the bike, things like that. So a lot of technique work we did. Um, and then from year to year, it was just all about ramping up the volume. So for a cycling year or cycling year split it. The season starts in like March, April when we look at the road cycling season and ends in September. So basically from October till March, we just had off-season training. Um, means we just did mostly zone two work, um, ramped up volume year by year and didn't did any intervals or something. We did some strength work during the winter and strength room. And then we had our season from March to September where we basically raced at least once a week, but sometimes two or three times a week. Um, yeah, and that's that's really it. So year by year, it was just all about getting in more kilometers. I can't even say how much we ramped up overall, but I think it was back then like two to 3,000 kilometers more per year um, we got on the saddle. Um, okay. And then, you know, from year to year, when you got older, when you came into a national team and things like that, more training and more specific training, yeah, find place. So we spent more time in the lifting room. We went um, on a cycling track, did some hard intervals there and things like that. But basically, it was pretty simple and all about volume, more volume year by year. And that's how we got to it. Yeah, yeah I, I understand a little bit about volume. Like, you know, I tend to get yeah. kind of that. Uh, <laughs> so, so in the saddle and like you're building over time, building over time, when did you first start thinking like, all right, I'm kind of good at this? Like, or did that ever actually happen? Mm -hmm. Because for some people, it doesn't. They achieve high levels in a sport, yeah. and, and they never fully believe that they belong there. They're like, yeah. this is all luck. So Yeah, that's true. Did you ever have that belief in self-confidence? Like, dude, I'm actually pretty darn good in a bike. Or was it just like, I don't know how this is happening, but it's happening? Yeah. I mean, it's funny because when I started, like the first two years in those really young age groups, I won a lot of races. So basically, I podiumed every single weekend and every single race I did. So I was really into it. But when I got like nine or 10 years old, that started to change. Um, don't know if other kids, you know, got bigger than me or trained more than me. That was also the case because our coach was really into, okay, we want to think long-term. We want to build up slowly so that you can swing the hammer when you're old enough and when it counts. And other kids maybe trained more in the young ages. Um, so from the age of like nine to 13 or something, I... I had some podiums, 
Um, but it wasn't definitely the best cyclist, you know. I was always with the pack, but never, never really at the front. Um, but that started to change at like the age 14, 15. And I think here the long-term aspect paid off because other kids got burned out at that point and our fitness started to really build up there and come together. I learned how to drive cycling races, um, how to read the races and all those things. I got really good at that. Um, and yeah, I think at the age 14, 15, somehow during the winter, I just exploded. So my body got bigger, got more muscles, I got fitter. I could, you know, compete with my coach um, on the hills and everything. And um, puberty, then I had Marcus. a really good, sorry? That's called puberty, Marcus. <laughs> yeah. You became a man. <laughs> yeah, I became a man, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Got some hairs on the legs, things like that. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, I had a really good year then at the age of 14, 15. And then, like, September, October, I got, like, a letter from national team where basically read, hey, you're in the national team for next year. Um, happy to have you in. Here's an invite for a training camp. And from there, it really started to work. So from there, I had, like, two three really good years um won a lot of races nationally internationally good um yeah and then what then happened we spoke about so all right so i mean you you go through that time and honestly that's it, it's so interesting how different like our trajectories were bro i never would have thought of sniffing at a national team at any like at 16 15 like there was no thought in my head of oh you know i'm a national level anything you know, um, so it's just cool how this sport ended up bringing us like all the way together here now at this Absolutely, point. Absolutely, man. But Absolutely. So you come out of that and you said that's when you decided I'm going to be a professional party animal for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and just found that over two years that kind of rang hollow. Eventually you were just like, you know what, this it's it's fun in the moment. And then so yeah, but I'm more than that. Yeah. Is that what it was like? It's interesting because a lot of people in fitness, I think, do have that in that they they spend some time kind of a little off the rails mm -hmm. and then fitness brings them back. Either they started off in sport that got them into a social group and then that got them to kind of party in. And then they're like, wait a minute, is this really what I want to do with my life? Um, so what was it about the differences between going out, being a socialite, partying all the time and then suddenly being like, dude, I got to do something else. Like what? What do you think is the thing that separates um, the two types of enjoyment? If you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to say. I think for me it was really like, hey, um, you know, we have a lot of fun. You're, you're getting into a lot of trouble and things like that, but it doesn't really bring you on in life. I grew up with competitions, being an athlete, um, you know, seeing the world and all those things. And no, I really feel like you know that's. I always felt that 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 party life just holds me back in life because it's not like you're going at a weekend on a party and that's it. You go during the weekend to a party, um, maybe missing school days, things like that, having bad grades in school, getting into trouble and all those things. And that just holds you back in life. And so a lot of guys, you know, just living that life or still living that life um, and wasting their time. And back at that point, you know, I met my girlfriends and all those things, and I just realized, okay, that's that's not bringing me forward. That's not 
who I am and I want to achieve something in life. And I think back in that days, you know, back in my cycling career, I was everything was really about, okay, I want to drive to Tour de France. I want to be a pro cyclist and all those things. I want to go to the Olympic Games and everything went into that direction and I pressed the stop button. And at the age of 20, I realized, okay, hey, you missed a big opportunity. Maybe go back to that and just try it again with another sport where you are not too old enough. And I mean, it, that brought me to to powerlifting because I realized, okay, that's a sport where you maybe can't go to Olympic Games, but maybe to the World Games, especially at the higher age, 30s, mid-30s or something. So I started back then to chase that dream again. Yeah, yeah so it like... At 15, you get like your first dose of man strength. And then at like 30, you get your second dose of man strength. And, and that's the where the power lifting, like the, that old man strength, because it's kind of like you're saying, you see in, uh, in like the power sports and then some like really ultra endurance sports, you'll see guys up there in their 40s that are just right. like still just still throwing down with anybody who's 23 years old. You know, I think they did some signs on that where they said, hey, you have your strength peak right around the age of 33 and yeah. you have your endurance peak. And we speak about someone that built it up from their young age. Doesn't mean when you turn 33, you can't be stronger. When you started at the age of 25, you can be yeah. stronger and get stronger until for your 45s or something. But when you start in an early age, strength peak right around 33, when you did everything right, endurance peak, especially longer endurance stuff, peak at like 39 or something like that, right around that range. And I think that's the point where we see so many strong athletes in weightlifting, powerlifting, being like in their mid-30s. Um, and that's the reason I think why we see so many good high rocks athletes being that good at an older age, because they are at their peak right now. Most of the guys at the top now, you know, train or are trained for a long time. And they're at their peak. And that's the reason I think why we see those 42 old fucks just being competitive right? <laughs> dude you're not wrong you're not wrong that's and i think about that like as long as they the, the people who are older now the one thing that's gonna happen is their recovery it's probably a little slower but as right. long as they don't get hurt the years the 20 30, sometimes 30 years of fitness that they've built up dude their body's just absorbed all of that and as long as they, they hit it yeah. they hit it right on the day uh let me tell you i don't there are plenty of 38 44 year olds anywhere in that range that i'm like oh, like you're you're 15 years older than me, but you're still really fit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard to beat them, especially when you started training at the age of 20 or something. Those 10 years more of endurance work, you just have to build up. They have it in their legs, you know, for years. You have to build that up firstly to be able to compete with them. Even when their training volume is maybe 50% of yours, they're still ahead. Yeah. Toby, um, he's, he's definitely an example of that. Low training volume guy, yes. but his whole background, you know, he was guy in a bike seat uh has a huge aerobic engine right we see toby we see hogan yep. see tiago yep. some other guys yeah um so so with that you come out of the partying lifestyle and you start lifting now like you said it's it's three lifts you know and it's the squat bench deadlift and you're not right you don't get beautiful scenic views out for a ride or anything like that you're no. you're you're in a gym and you're loading a bar and you're picking it up and you're putting it down so mentally, what were the differences for you in being a power athlete versus being a endurance athlete? I mean, training wise, I think there was a big difference in training. So in the cycling days, you know, we had like a group of three, my coach, 
the sun, which we were like best friends. And we were just out on the road basically every day, training together, talking about everything. And, you know, you always, always know, okay, there's someone waiting for you for training, your coach is waiting for you. So it was pretty easy to get into training because someone forced you to do it, even on the days you maybe don't want it to. Um, in the powerlifting days, I think it was a bit different in terms of training. I mean, I started powerlifting, you know, just watching YouTube videos, reading about training and everything. But what do you do at the age of 20? You go into the gym and you max out every single session. Uh, I want to get strong. I have to max out. Um, that worked pretty well. So I got some good numbers in for like <laughs> six months. Um, but then said, okay, if I want to be at a high level, I have to find someone. And I found like an old powerlifting coach living like 40 minutes away from me. Um, he had some world championships titles and all those things. So I just messaged him on Facebook and said, hey, I want to be a world champion. Do you want to train me? That's my background. I'm invested in it. And he said, yeah, man, just come over. So I went there, got in a training session with him. And from there, he started to program for me. Um, so what I did then, I had like four training days a week trained two times with him in his gym, two times in my gym by myself. Um, but mentally, I think what what pushed me was just that end goal, you know, being competitive at a high level, going to Worlds or something like that. Um, I think the, mentally it was maybe sometimes tougher because you have been alone and you have been in a gym where guys around you were pumping their biceps up and you were just doing squats and deadlifts. Um, but I think motivation-wise, it was the same because we had that end goal, you know, being on a high level. And so that very much speaks to like a competitor's mindset, you know, right. that it shifts. Like for you're you're having to take in between these lifts, you're just kind of sitting down and waiting, and like you know, all right, now we lift again, and now we wait, and now we lift again, and it's a very boring and tedious process. But you're like, I'm not worried about the guy who's over there getting to pump in whose arms look real big and like, I'm not worried about the aesthetics. I just want to win the fucking competition. Right. Whatever it takes is what it takes. Right. Um, And that was how it was for cycling. That's how it is for powerlifting. And then it seems as if you just have continually translated that into every sport you went into. So you go from powerlifting, which at your peak, like what were you, what were you kind of hitting? What weight class were you in? And what were some of the accolades that you won? Yeah. So I was, in the junior categories um, means I wasn't competing with the adult men's. Um, I was competing in like sub 82.5 kilogram classes, sub 83 kilogram classes, depending on, you know, the, the association or something like that you compete in. Um, so I was basically sitting at like 79 kilograms or something on weight-ins. Um, numbers have been at right around like 225 squat. Um, right around 130 bench right around so deadlift was never my my strongest thing so my back squat and deadlift were pretty the same all the time um so yeah that were my numbers what i won was you know like one two national titles um european record in like the squat european title in the junior categories um and that's it yeah oh that's all okay not much that's that's <laughs> that's it okay <laughs> I just love I, I love just like the hey, they don't want this and we did that and yep that's it okay um so so when we're thinking that, big you know it's that's a problem as an athlete I think when you're competitive it's like okay I have to get in the next thing oh I I I completely understand like what you're saying like when people will 
you know, it's it's almost hard to get compliments as an athlete sometimes because your own mind is the one that's critiquing you probably the hardest. So when people are like, oh, good job, like you raced well, you did this well, you're in your own head like, well, I could have fixed that and I want to do better than this. And like, there's no, unfortunately at times, there seems like there's no good enough. Right, right. You know, and for me also, you know, I just hate people that are just talking about themselves and, hey, I have won that, I have won that, blah, 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 blah. My finger came and it's not, it's not just that, you know, yeah. what kind of a human you are. That's more important for me than what you have done on race day. That is that is very true, and, and also thinking about the whole, um, you know, there never seems to be like a good. I remember talking, and we're jumping really far ahead, real quick, but talking to you after uh, Manchester. So you're sitting there, and now you're more in the coaching position in this case. And you text me, and you're like, "It's like two days afterwards." You're like, "Nah, I didn't think about it at the moment, but I'm looking at it." my athletes did really, really well. Like, like it took days of reflection for you to go, oh shit, everybody crushed it. Um, so sometimes it's really good in a moment. You will miss the successes that either you're having or other people that you want to succeed are having. And then you got to make sure that you pause for a minute, but hey, don't rush too far ahead. Go back and look at that again. And you'll see like, oh shit, like this was actually a very like successful kind of culmination of events. And I shouldn't just yeah. rush to the next one or yeah. I'm going to miss that moment of like, wow, wow. <laughs> like we built to this. This is what we said we were going to do. And then we did it. And yeah. that's like, that's something to celebrate for a minute because a lot of times as athletes and sometimes as coaches, you'll just be like, boom, next one, boom, next one. And never True. stop and say, Hey, wait a minute. Boom. All right. Next one. Like so that. important to be in a moment sometimes and enjoy it, you know, because as you said, you know, I was at world's, coming out of little surgery my body was just wasted so i was tired coaching all day long really enjoyed it um but just honestly afterwards i mean you you told me like second day man you're you're looking wasted you're looking tired and i said yeah man i couldn't eat for days because of the surgery and everything and as i said it took me like one or two days to sit down in the hotel room just looking at the stats and what happened and you know thinking about the emotions and the races and everything and then i just came to that point where i said man that's basically the best weekend we ever had you know even when i didn't compete it just being there and seeing my athletes crushing it was 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 i think a big point for me this year you know that just brought me to a lot of thoughts afterwards so. yeah and so we're and towards the end we'll end up getting to like the whole sort of shift into coaching and you know where things are sitting at now um, as we kind of follow it all the way up to how you even got into high rocks coaching, but we, we get out of the powerlifting. We've had some success there and then you shift to CrossFit. So yeah. you shift to CrossFit and it was just out of kind of bored tedium of, of constantly doing the powerlifting. And you're like, man, I got to do something else that involves, right. uh, you know, handstands and ropes and stuff. You were like, maybe not the circus, but close. Um, yeah. basically. And, and the integration into that, like how quickly did you feel? Because you're coming in, you're strong, and you've got a big aerobic background. Um, you don't have the proficiency probably in the Olympic lifts at the time, I would assume. Yeah. But like how quickly did you catch on to CrossFit and be like, yeah, this is cool too. Like I'm pretty good at this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as you said, strength background was there and on top notch at that moment. Endurance background was kind of there. Also, and I lost a lot of it over the few years because um, we – so I basically didn't did any aerobic work for like five years. So you don't hold what you had. But I think 
your body's primed for that and you go back into training. Um, so I started training in a little CrossFit gym with a great coach from our city um, who was really into it at that time. And then everything happened really fast because honestly, man, I just worked my ass off because I really wanted it again. Because when I do something, I do it and I just do that. So my whole day was just focused on being a good CrossFit athlete at that moment, you know? Um, so what I did there was just going into the CrossFit classes, doing their workouts, his progression in the classes was perfect, primed for good technique, good progression over the weeks. And then they had some open gym times where I just told him, hey, I want to be competitive as fast as possible. And what do I have to do to be at that level? And then we just started to be in the open gym after the class and just basically spent two hours a day working on my weaknesses. So I had like two days a week where I just worked on my muscle ups and technique there. Two days a week where I worked on overhead stuff like uh, overhead stuff like handstands and things like that. So I learned all the techniques really fast. So basically after like eight weeks, I was able to do like muscle ups, handstand walks, all things like that, just because I spent hours, um, put it in the work as fast as possible. So I really wasted my body in that time just to get up to that level. And then it happened really fast. So I started October qualified January for my first CrossFit competition in Greece, went through that in April, got my ass kicked even when I qualified. Um, and then we just went from there. Yeah. And you were in, how long were you in CrossFit before, you know, you decide, hey, I'm going to jump from a little too high off a rope, which you yelled at me for doing when you saw me doing rope climbs one time. Uh, you saw a video of it. And I remember you go, hey, don't don't fucking do that. Like, I did I did that, messed up my ankle. It's a bad idea. Um, and I was like, hey, uh, I, I think I'll trust this guy. Um, so how long were you in CrossFit for before High Rocks came onto the radar? It was like, say, right around three years, three, okay. year, three years of competitive training. So, I mean, from start to the end, three years. Yeah. And by the end, I mean, what level were we looking at from a competitive standpoint? Were you, let's say, let's say that the three-year point Marcus goes back to Greece. How well yeah. is he doing in that competition? I mean, when we look at the elite level, level there, maybe in Greece is a big competition, maybe top 10, maybe top 15 place finishers. So at the time I got injured, I was at the level where I could, when I had good workouts for me, maybe qualify for the elite CrossFit German throwdown, which was a qualifying events for CrossFit games. I mean, 40, 50 athletes qualifying for that. So I don't say I never would have qualified for the CrossFit games or yeah. something like that, but I would be able to compete with that guys on the field. So, so that was that level. Good for my age, good for the years. Definitely not like elite worldwide, um, but say just a, a good high competitive level nationally, um, solid competitive maybe. Europe wise or something like that. Okay. I, I mean, yeah, the, you're very, uh, you're, you're kind of in tune with the levels of fitness that it takes to be at different, you know, categories. And so I figured you could give a good approximation without being like, well, I would have walked in and stomped all over them. Like, <laughs> no, no, man. That had, so I think, I mean, being injury free and all things like that, maybe I would have take like, you yeah. know, like at least like three, four more years that level training to be maybe competitive at official CrossFit events. Um, and then still depending on workouts and everything, as yeah. I said, being injury-free. But 
I think like in every sport, you need like six, six, seven, eight years to be at a good elite level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like halfway to that. And then also we can't say I would have that happen. So um, can never plan that. Right? No, no. But you, you can Maybe have- I would have stagnated after a year or whatever. Absolutely, you don't, and and you see that so often with whenever people look at like up and coming uh, high school athletes in so many sports, and they're like, "This person's gonna be the next," and it's like, "Dude, they're right. six, they're sixteen, bro. Like, they've got to go for them to That's be." What I said, maybe they just have been on a that high volume because back in my days, there were gays driving like twenty five thousand kilometers at the age of fifteen. You know, it's normal that they're top notch, but. There's not a lot of room to progress for the next 10 to 15 years. So you always have to have that in mind and looking at the big picture. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, so, and this is just a, if you look at the American record holder in the 5K and 10K, all right, Grant Fisher. Yeah. You look at him as a senior in high school, like you had a bunch of guys who were running, you know, 80, 90 mile weeks. Okay. And yeah. Grant's one of the best dudes in the entire country. He's running 40 miles a week playing soccer. Yeah. And you watch that athlete right there, if he's 40 miles a week playing soccer and is already nationally competitive, if he decides later on, I'm going to go down this running route, that's how you get somebody who's a world champion or close to later on in life. Not the kid who is like, dude, it's awesome. I love hard work. I get it. It's great. But the kid who's running 90 miles a week at 16 or 17 already, he's pretty damn close to the ceiling. Um, I mean, that's the point, you know, and I think that's, that's something my coach did just great in cycling because we build it up so slowly to, you know, be ready when we have to be ready and not at the young ages where no one, no one really cares ex- except a few parents that are like crazy involved, right? Um, and I think that's the point. People have to have a look also here in the hybrid space and everything. How much training volume do you really need to get better? Do you, when you're now sitting at like six hours a week, are going to be eight hours enough or do you get in like 12? I don't think that 12 hours will make you a better athlete than eight because you already have that progression in. And that's definitely something that people have to have an eye on, just that slow build up, long-term, think long-term. So we've gotten to the point where you're coming out of, you know, that injury uh, can't compete at this point. And you happen to see the VCF, which the VCF is what both got us into the sport. Now for you, right. as you did the equipment division, and I did the body weight. So what, how did the VCF even come across your, you know, like radar? I mean, I heard about high rocks before. So, um, saw a few Instagram posts and things like that. Saw some, you know, CrossFit athletes competing in, in high rocks and all those things. And high rocks was definitely already on the radar and we planned to do one. Um, Frankfurt back then in April, but COVID came in between. I mean, we didn't train for it. We just said, "Hey, let's let's go there and let's 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 maybe do competition." Didn't happen. Then I got that injury, lay in my bed, and then the VCF came up. Yeah. And so you hop in there and compete well through the VCF. End up in that final four. And if I remember, the final four were it was a it was Chris Woolley, it was you, it was Lucas Storath, and it was uh the guy who. I keep forgetting. Yeah, Norbert Langsodi. Yeah. Hold on, say his, say his name again. Norbert Langsodi. Yeah, fucking Norbert. Hungary. Yeah. Norbert. Yeah. I was trying to remember his name. Dude was just beast of a man. Beast of a man. Um. So yeah, and the workout for that was split however you want. Five k row, fifty dumbbell burpee over rower with thirty fives and one hundred fifty wall balls. 
Right. Okay. Right. Split it up however you want. Just do it as fast as possible. Just do it as fast as possible. And to this day, I've done that workout a few times and I've still never beaten the time you put down for that. So um, just, you, you have that one over me. Um, and At I'm least sure. one. <laughs> Maybe the only one. No, that is not the only one. You've got a few. Um, so I remember watching that. Um, and I think you did surprise people in winning it. Like I, when you finished, like, oh, huh, Marcus won. And at that point, I didn't know you that well. We had never, we didn't start speaking until after the 2020 uh, world, like Elite 12 race. I think it was when we yeah. first started speaking some. But um, so like you win that and that's what got you the bid to go race the elite 12 right 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 i mean won that competition you know got like my first prize money in the hybrid space or crossfit world or whatever and just saw okay hey something big is maybe happening here with high rocks um maybe we should focus on that not realizing at that point a high rocks race is completely different to a vcf um so just got into that space you know we Went into holidays afterwards, um, had some friends over here in our apartment, having some food, talking. And I think it was late night, like nine, 8, 9 p.m. or something. And just an email popped up at my phone from Indratilly about, hey, we are doing that Elite 12 World Championships race in December. And due to your win in the VCF, we are, we are giving you a wild card. So what they did back then, they invited the first four men and women from the world ranking, the two VCF winners got invited and they had one wild card each, which got invited, which have been like, yeah, good, good CrossFit athletes. So they invited um, Adam Klink, Adam Klink, um, you know, high level CrossFit athletes and Sam Briggs. So that were the wild cards. Um, yeah. Lauren Weeks got in through the VCF. I yeah. got in through the VCF and, that's all the athletes from the ranking in. Yeah. And and that was honestly, it, that was the first, I mean, of course, this was the only high rocks they ever did with the salt runners. Um, right. And it would be interesting. <laughs> it would be interesting to see how uh, uh, high rocks with the salt runners would go. I've done like simulations using one, but it, it would be, that'd be, that'd be an interesting uh, go of it. It was tough. I mean, you know, I got invited and heard, okay, we are going to run on those salt runners in a little venue, um, in space. And I started training for that, but just did it completely wrong. You know, I just went into that with like the, the CrossFit mindset. Okay, I'm strong. I have to keep my strength. Um, I have to do some running, but I basically did what everyone was doing in the beginning, just getting in too much, too less running volume. I did like, Fast 3K runs, fast 5K runs, you no know, easy runs, just swinging the hammer like twice a week, getting in like 12 kilometers or something. Um, and went over there and was just pumped, you know, at a young age. I mean, back then I was like 22, I think, 20, maybe turned 23, not sure yet. Um, so yeah, it was funny. I got there, was a lot of fun, filmed a lot of things, met a lot of people, great athletes from the space. Um, had some good chats, learned a lot from them, you know, because I went in there to learn. So I wasn't going into that with the mindset of, you know, I'm going to win this. I mean, no one goes to a competition and wants to take second place. So, but I went in there with that young head. I was pumped, but I wanted to learn from the older athletes and take everything I can take from that from that competition weekend. 
just to be a better athlete in the future in that new space. Um, yeah, and then we had that World Championships race. I think I wasn't bad prepared and my, my, my prep went well, even with low running volume. Um, the simulations went well, even when we can't compare times from a simulation to race day. I couldn't train a lot on the salt runner, so I tested it like two or three times in a faraway gym. Um, but yeah, I think then in that competition, just my just my young mind went wild, you know. Um, <laughs> we just started a race and I just went all out. First kilometer, skier, first kilometer, sled push, exploded, and then just 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 finished that race. <laughs> yeah, it was, hey, look, uh, not too far removed from having a race where I was just three stations in and going, God, I just want to finish this race. Um, I understand. So... Yeah, it was not the best day for you, um, <laughs> to put it lightly. It was not the best day for you, but it was still a great experience, you know. Yeah, I learned a lot from it. I mean, I think that day just, you know, if I would have, as an example, podiums on that day, I wouldn't have changed anything in my training maybe for the next season. So, guys, just to give you numbers, I finished that race on the Salt Runners in like 1019. So that was my first Tyrox time there. And after that, I just realized, okay, you have to switch your body compositions because back at those days, I was sitting still at like 89, 90 kilograms at a height of one meter 78. Um, and after that, I realized, okay, I have to change a lot of things and I have to learn things about training because I was, you know, I know, know a lot at that point about cycling training, strength training, CrossFit training. So I was really into that, but I didn't know a lot about running work. Um, so after that race, I just started to consume, you know, a lot of, a lot of books. I think the year after that, like 2021, I listened to like 450 hours of podcasts about just running training and everything you can listen. Um, yeah, I just switched my whole training layout and said, okay, that was fun. You can be competitive when you train for that. Let's, let's try that. Yeah. yeah and then we so got fixed by losing, you know, it was when you win, there's nothing that motivates you anymore. And by getting my ass kicked pretty hard, that motivated me and said, okay, you want to be competitive. There's something you're weak on. Let's let's jump into that. No, you're you're right. There's definitely getting your butt handed to you. It's a, a reminder of like, hmm, I don't know everything and I'm not good at everything. And right. I need to fix some stuff. Um, so have you, if we take that, you took all that and then nine months later. I'm hanging out at your house. I'm like, yo, what's up, buddy? So uh, yeah. <laughs> we get to Eating that point. German truchis. Yeah, dude, I'm just hammering bread and yelling the the broken German that I know as we drive down the <laughs> highway from uh from from Saarbrück into Leipzig, and I'm just yelling out the window, Ichabin Bush, like I am the wolf. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, so great times, man. Great times. So so at that point, like we we had become friends. Um over that summer and everything, I had gotten into the sport in April of 2021, raced, raced again in June, and then kind of got my ticket over to um to Germany. So we link up and that's our first race there together on the line of the, you know, at that point, I, it was Elite 20. How many people they put in? I forget. Yeah, Elite 20. Yeah. Elite 20. So we got to race together there. And man, for, I forget, what were you... Eighth, ninth, what were you there? I think ninth. Ninth. And had seen a lot of improvement. So you go from the 119, you know, 
on that very first race to by that time you're running what 63 64 no 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 i mean when you when you look back that was that slow course in leipzig where everyone i think you finished in 64 for place oh, four oh, was that or five Okay. Yeah, I think you finished 64. I finished 68, which maybe would have been on a normal course, 63, 64. Okay. Um, there was that random layout where we had to run yeah. in 10 endless outs, whatever. Um, but yeah. Well, we got to know that course well because we came back later and did the doubles. Um, and and all. Then we mind that doubles race, <laughs> <laughs> bro. That uh, to survive. <laughs> that was that was a that was a brutal. That was, I, I could never forget us trying to jog from the hotel just over to the venue, which is maybe a little over a kilometer. And we got like 30 minutes pre-race and we stopped <laughs> probably three times because I couldn't stop cramping. Those I, cramps. Was like, I was like, cramps. I was like, dude, I don't know how we're going to do this. You're like, we can, like, what? I mean, do we have, I was like, dude, we already talked them into letting us into the race. If we pull out now, like we might as well just disappear into the woods. Um, <laughs> that was such a hottest race of my life for sure. <laughs> <laughs> just running alongside i'm just marcus are you okay no but i will make it <laughs> like <laughs> just just for the people that are listening we raced the lead race and after that like 30 minutes later we were dying on the ground we just got an idea hey let's ask tyrox to let us without being in the competition but let us into a doubles race two and a half three hours later and they said yes so they signed us in We went back to the hotel, cramping really bad, just getting a shower, jogging, tr trying to jog back to the venue to get warmed up. That didn't work. And then yeah. everything else was just a pain. And then, and then all too, like the thing for IROX, we had a chip and everything, but they were not like, we didn't count in the we race. We weren't in the ranking. Yeah. No, no, no. You, you'll, you won't find our name in there. They were like, yeah, you can get in, you can race, we'll give you a chip and everything. But you're like, and I was like, yeah, that's fine. I just want to do something dumb. So like, that's <laughs> it. It was It was, you know, six hours before Marcus's birthday. Um, because what your your birthday is the 12th, right? Yes. So yeah. basically that race destroyed my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so pretty much decided hatched a plan to destroy Marcus's birthday. Um and we 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 made it to the finish line just over an hour, I think. But uh yeah, yeah rough times. And then from there, you know, it's kind of like both of us like We were still in the competitive field looking at 2022. Um, and for you, the only thing that I just keep remembering is you kept getting sick. Like, I felt like you could never stay healthy, not injury-wise, but just sick-wise. Yeah. And it was like every time a race was coming up or a training block was finishing and I'd hit you up, like, yo, how you feeling and everything? And you're like, I just I was sick for two weeks. And then, like, I got this happen. And, that, and it was like a string of bad luck just kept kind of hammering you health-wise. Um, right. I don't know. Still can't really say to today what happened. And it took me a long time, you know, because I think I was okay till like January, February 2022. So I could train well. Um, so we speak now about the time from Leipzig till Europeans, which was like a time frame of like four or five months um so i could train okay there everything was fine finished europeans in like 63 minutes um and from there i just everything went went down so after europeans i had one last race in london um where i tried to punch my my ticket for the lead race that year um was one week out from worlds but didn't have a good race there um 
and from there I just 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 everything went down yeah I don't know what really happened um I just got sick all the time so basically I could train for like two weeks fine and then I was sick for like one to two weeks and just that just repeated for like for like a year you know yeah so that went on for a long time till into this season so I mean during the summer I had like a time frame of like five six weeks where I was fine and when I get in a good training block my numbers are good and I'm competitive then I went to Asia I got COVID there like on the second day after arriving and after that that whole thing just started again so I just we speak now about the last season now from September till now yeah um but just basically everything went wrong um Got, got home from Asia after like a two-month trip and then just being sick all the time. So basically, I just, you know, I got inflammations, um, got sick, things like that. Um, basically, did every race I did on medication and whatever, just because I wanted to race and bring my, my ass back into the elite field. Um, but yeah, that was really it. So um, just being sick all the time and um, yeah, inflammation-wise, health wise we're like tough 12 to 18 months yeah yeah and i mean like it's a super quick like oh we we blew through 12 to 18 months but like that's 12 to 18 months that we can gloss over in a podcast but dude that's a hard that's a hard mental 12 to 18 months of like um you know you're going through you're like i want to be back i'm you you have this sense of this is who i am i'm an athlete yeah every time you try to go be a fucking athlete you're hurt or you're sick or something comes up and you haven't thing is like you haven't given up on that and we've of course we we're friends all through it this we're talking you start kind of taking all of the years that you've had which at that point is coming up on like 20 years in sport and shift it towards coaching Mm. and i think that a lot of what may have and, and i could be wrong so tell me this a lot of what may have helped you through that time was the fact that you were seeing success through other people with your athletes right right i mean as i said when when i'm into something i'm really into it and i couldn't be really into being an athlete anymore at that time i mean i tried my best but just something stopped it something bigger stopped it can't really say what it was um but yeah during that time i started to to coach i mean i was coaching the past seven eight nine years in gyms um personal training i coached online some powerlifters but never did a big thing out of it because I focused on myself being an athlete and I just made sure okay we can you know pay the bills and that's it so I managed the gym and all those things and that was up to the point I went to Asia last last end of August I went over there started like the hybrid online coaching like two months before because I said okay I want to be more involved into that but being the time in Asia, you know, I was sitting at like Callum's apartment in the city of Kuala Lumpur just at night after some calls because of time zone. It was really late, like 2, 3 a.m. Watching at the city and the lights and was really thinking about, okay, what do you do with the next season? You know, do you try to be an athlete? Do you try to be best coach possible? Or where do you want to go with life? And um, I really said, okay, at the moment, just something bigger don't want to let me be a good athlete and I decided to I mean try to get back into the elite but always with the thought and the mindset okay coaching first and that is what happens or happened 
really when I came back from Asia. So when I went to Asia, I was still doing like 25, 30 hours of personal training in our city to like normal people that just want to look good and do online coaching. Coming back the day from Asia, I decided, okay, from now it's just online coaching. Just immediately stopped to do personal training and just got fully involved and focused on that. Still doing my training, still prep for my Barcelona race and all those things, um, but just fully focused on the online coaching thing and my athletes, just because I saw, okay, I can help to be athletes or just to help athletes being at their best possible level, um, chasing their dreams. I can chase my dream of being the best possible athlete I maybe could be if my body would work, but that just gave me that thing of being the best possible coach in the space and being the best possible coach for my athletes um, I can be. So that gave me just energy. Yeah, and, and you come from, I mean, if, if you follow along, you come from actually a background of having stumbled into some very good coaches yourself. So like right, early right. on in life, six years old, who was it that yeah. saw the promise? A coach who was like, here, take a bike. And then you go reach out to a, you know, world-class level powerlifter. And he goes, yeah, I'll take you in. And then you get into CrossFit and you go to the coach and you're like, dude, when's open gym? What do I need to do? And then it goes, so it's, you've got a history of working with great coaches. You've got a history of all of these different backgrounds of far spectrums of the sports. Right. And that makes for one hell of a good coach. Yeah, I think what I, what I like about that is that, you know, it brings you out of the box because it combines so many thoughts and so many thoughts and so many different training styles that can maybe work in a hybrid space because what we're doing here is just throwing together every single sport we can think about or nearly everything. Um, but I think, and that's what my athletes telling me, you know, that it helps them just because they, they, they see that something different is happening, you know, that different techniques, different thoughts from different sports are just coming together. Um, it's maybe a different training philosophy, um, but yeah, it seems to work pretty well for them. Yeah, and you're, I mean, we, you've got that in, in the hybrid realm. And then also I'm seeing, I mean, we're at least seeing DecaFit and stuff start to grow in, yeah. in Europe, which you were just recently, you know, you went out and raced. And I remember hearing from you, you raced the Deca Strong over in, where are they in? Malaga? Is that what it was? Malaga, yeah. Yeah. yeah Spain. Yeah. yeah. So I get a message from you and I was like, how, like, because I didn't see in the results because I didn't realize you were racing the strong and out the pit. And I'm like, how'd you do? And one of the things that stood out was like, bro, that's the most fun I've had racing in so long. Um, in that, in the pursuit of still being fit, still racing as an athlete, but being a coach and being around like the team, my zone and all of the people within that group, just how much fun the sport is. Right. I think you lost, I think especially with, trying to be the best athlete possible. I got into a kind of toxic relationship with the sport, you know, where I stopped enjoying my races. Um, and that's it. Going into other race or different race styles, different competition, just let me thought about that and let me realize, okay, man, you love competing, you know, doesn't have to be a fuck up after every single race, even when you did well. So I had really fun race after COVID without training in Asia and the Philippines, Spartan Beast. That was maybe the greatest race experience I ever had. Um, then I went to Malaga, Spain for the DECA strong without really training the last 10, 10 weeks, you know, but had so much fun in there because it was something different. No one really looks at my times and all those things. And being still competitive, you know, just gave me a good feeling. Um, 
but also doing something else gave me a good feeling and just as i said reminded me hey racing is firstly about fun because we are not racing for millions right um and then there should be that competitive mindset yeah that's absolutely like we you're, you're right we're not racing for millions you know that's not for neither one of us has sport ever been the thing that puts food on the table you know right and that goes for your everyday individual who's also competing who's right. like racing in the age group or racing open or anything because there are people who they will get all up in their own head so heavy about their fitness and about a race time and it's like unless this is life or death or unless this is paying your mortgage or your rent or whatever dude it should not suck like it should not it should physically suck a little bit like it's going to be hard. absolutely yes but <laughs> you should not be losing sleep and hating yourself for a bad performance like if it's not life or death kind of deal and it's not make or break with regards to how your family is going to be doing i promise you you're doing worse to your family by being a mental case about how you're doing as a fitness athlete when your life is not that's not what your life is don't make it your life right right i mean you know i coach a lot of athletes and i just coach individual it means you know everyone is in really close contact with me i'm going into a call with maybe all of the athletes every week speaking about you know not just about training it's about their life their mental thing at the moment what's going on um and i just realized at that point is so important you know because when i heard the call hey my family members are angry about me because i'm just focusing on my focusing on my sports you know or i'm just upset after every single race or marcus i hate running or whatever you know then i always say hey just think about what happens here and um you know, just 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 really dig deep into that and ask yourself why you're doing it. Um, because as we said, it's not paying your bills. So why destroy your whole life around it for that one one single thing? Not that I say it's not important to have goals, to be competitive, to go and to raise it, give it everything, to be structured in training and everything, but should be in a good balance and you should feel good with what you're doing. You know, when you feel like, you know, as you said, you can't sleep. Or whatever, then something is really wrong here. Yeah, and and like this will this will run counter to maybe what a lot of people, it, you know, think or push, or at least I know it's the idea over here in America a lot. So you know who David Goggins is, correct? Yeah. All right. So David Goggins, he would be somebody who he would say, "Fuck balance, like fuck any kind of moderation. Go all in. It's all you should care about." Like, and let me tell you. If you want to be one of the greatest in the world at something, that is the mindset you have to have. But guess what? Most people don't have yeah. the they don't have the intangibles behind like the they don't have the tangibles behind the intangibles to even back that up. So you can have this mindset of being a crazy fucking person who all you care about is that one singular thing, but genetically you might not be blessed to be good at that. So what you're doing is you're crafting the mindset of a psycho who's going to see millions of dollars, if not tens of millions of dollars worth of benefit from that mindset, where all you're going to do is destroy your entire life. So like you're saying, it is important to have goals and chase after them, but have some moderation because unless you're somebody who you know, you're like, yeah, I got a lot of potential. And if I go all in, all in for a set amount of time, there's a good chance that I get to the top. That's great. But if you're later in life, and you're acting like a crazy person chasing a dream and a goal, 
that is, you know, pretty much not going to fucking happen. Stop it. Like, <laughs> stop. Yeah, it. true. You know, I have young athletes in the coaching that are chasing their dream of being a world champion in a few years. You know, they're in their early, early 20s. And there, I definitely say, man, if you want to do that and we see your potential, don't be a fucking pussy. You know, yeah. you're tired. <laughs> I don't care. Go for yeah. your run. You know, those things, your rest day is waiting. We're doing it in a healthy way, to, but don't be a pussy. But when you're in your mid 40s, you know, and your partner is about to get divorced from you because you're whatever, you know, um, that's the wrong way to, to do a sport. Um, yes. Maybe not worth it. Maybe for you, um, then it's totally fine when you're happy with that. But I think that's not the mindset I have with those things for my athletes. You know, no, so I, I'm really open to my athletes. And when I see something like that, I speak about it. Um, but as you said, when you want to be top notch, then you have to be all in. You have yeah. to be. And, and having that dual like ability as a coach to coach across multiple, because this isn't like, oh, I'm just coaching, you know, the people who are age 13 to 30. You know, I'm coaching people who are age 16 all the way up into their 60s. Right. To be able to look at it and go, you know, the goal and the mindset and the maturity and the priorities for a 16-year-old and a 60-year-old, very different. Absolutely. I got to take a very different approach to 16-year-old. They might still be figuring out what high-level pain tolerance is. And you have to go, hey, don't be a pussy. Get up, another rep. Like, or you got a whole, like, I said four rounds. This is round three. One more. Let's go. Right. 60-year-old, completely different. It might be like, a, dude. They're the hardest worker in the room. And sometimes you got to be like, bring it down a little bit. Like, we're good. We're good. All you're going to do now is get tired, get hurt. And, right. and so to, to be able to talk across different ability levels, generations, all of that kind of stuff as a coach, super important. And also to what you're saying, like, I'm at a point where, yeah, I'm pushing a lot, trying to be as good as I can as an athlete. There's going to be a time where I got a little baby man in there where it's going to go, Dylan, you're done. Like, yeah, man, I need you. Yeah, he's ten years old. You're thirty-seven. We're about finished here with with all of our time being devoted towards trying to be an athlete. We're finished with this. It's like, and it'll probably happen before that, to be honest. But like you're saying, if you are, if I tried to live this life throughout his growing up, I'm gonna fuck up our relationship, me and him, yeah. and I'm gonna fuck up my relationship with my wife. Like right. because I'm gonna be so devoted to this that it's gonna be a problem. Um, and there's a period for everything in life. High level sport. That's true, man. Yeah. That has a finite period, which means that when you're there, you you need to be in for it. But when it's over, you got to figure out when it's over. So, so important to realize that, you know, I think it's totally fine to live in those time frames and say, okay, now it's my athlete life. I'm living that, you know, and just fulfill that and just give it everything. But there will be a point where that stops and other things are coming up. I just think we as athletes are always scared about who we are without the sport, you know, because honestly, that's what I said to my girlfriend when I just realized, okay, I'm just sick for like one and a half years. And I just said, okay, I'm still chasing the dream. But when I stop now, who I am, you know, what I'm doing, I, you know, I can't put myself in a situation where I couldn't put myself in a situation where I could say, okay, I am now just the student Marcus, you know, I'm just that I'm going to the gym three times a week, getting in a good pump, but I'm a student and I'm meeting people there couldn't think about that it took me time yeah and i and i've said this before on different podcasts and stuff like that i took i had that time period in my life from like late 17 until 
early 20 where I was injured and I couldn't compete. And all I had known in through all my formative years was running and being an athlete. Now I can't run. I have no identity. And like when you lose yeah. that, it sucks. Um, because you like pretty bad. Yeah. yeah, dude, you don't know what you are, who you are, and it, it takes a lot from you. But you, you talk about talking to your girlfriend, uh, Christiana. The thing is, if the world takes sport away from you, you still have her and you still have your family and you still have your friends. If the world takes that away from you, you'll realize how little sport matters. That's true. I mean, I saw it, you know, that's what I said in one of the YouTube videos, I think, from World Steps. You know, no one cares what's written down. In, so no one cares about your high time. It's not written down on your gravestone or whatever, you know. So those are the little things that should be important, you know, invest your time there. But it's not everything. No, no. Because after Manchester, like, I mean, I felt so guilty and I cried, like, because not because of how I performed, but because how much I took away from from Maria, from August, to like put myself in that position because it is inherently selfish to chase being a high-level athlete. It is. And when you fail, dude, you have nothing. Like there's no medal, there's no money, there's no, you can't come home and go, look, like I did this. You got fucking 14th. Like, but the thing is- I mean, you know, you just basically just lost money. You maybe could have spent on a holiday <laughs> yeah. in August, you know, and I think I go into those conversations with my athletes. You know, I'm not saying- you know, I'm pushing athletes to their limits. Don't get me wrong. I push yeah. them um, to make them as best as possible. But I think what we try to say with all the negative stuff we are talking about right now is that we should just realize what we are doing. You know, enjoy your training, be in the moment, enjoy your competition. Don't, don't waste your time with being upset after a race, during a race, in the period after a race, in your prep, because one workout wasn't maybe the best, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it, it, exactly. There's a period for it. You, you want to take an hour, two hours afterwards to be a little pissed, maybe even a day. But that should not, don't let that mood, one, don't let that mood bleed into everyone else. Like, don't yeah. bring your negativity into the crowd. And then also, don't let it linger too long because it's not going to help you. Um, yeah. So with that, I mean, like, this was kind of the place I wanted to end up getting to towards the end was the, you know, following your path up to being a coach and then looking at, how you deal with athletes across the spectrum and all that kind of stuff. And then looking forward as we wrap up here, like what are the plans um, for you both competitively, non-competitively and stuff like that? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's still kind of open what is happening with me as an athlete because I'm 27 now. So I have like, when we look at high rocks or hybrids, like 12, 13 more years at least of being competitive um, when I get back into training swings, but I definitely say that being an athlete is not my focus right now. So for the moment, my decision is just to focus fully on my athletes, um, help them to be the best athletes possible and just focusing on that, um, enjoying time there, you know, learning from those things, um, being the best possible coach I can be for the next season and the next year. Um, and I think then we'll have and I will figure out what is going to happen with me as an athlete. For the moment, you know, I still train. Um, I tested Decker Strong because I saw, okay, that's kind of my wheelhouse with that short time duration. And it let me be competitive with short amount of training time. So even with just one training a day, it can be competitive there. So I decided to do a few competitions in there. 
Um, let's see what is happening with that. I mean, I just have like one more race in four weeks to qualify for Worlds. I won't be able to join another one. So I have one more shot for Decca Worlds. If it happens, it happens. If not, I don't care. Um, that's not my main focus. And yeah, then we will see. I mean, keep going training, but I'm definitely at the point where, you know, I say, okay, hey, one of my athletes needs a second call this week because whatever mental breakdown, injury, or whatever happens, I don't go to my training session. I go and call him and say, hey, just just hit me a call. Let's speak. Um, so that's my mindset at the moment. If I can get in my training, I do it. If not, it's also okay for me. You know, yeah. I do something else. Yeah. If, and if people do want to end up training with you, like where can they reach out? Where can they find you and stuff? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the easiest way is via Instagram, Marcus under slash whatever you call it in English. <laughs> underscore, underscore. Underscore Frizon yeah. uh, or Marcus Frizon on Instagram. You can find me there. And basically from there, you find all the links to the YouTube videos, podcasts, to my website. Um, and on the website, everything is written down about coaching, training programs we have. Um, but also just feel free to hit me a message and hop into a call and speak about where we can go. Um, I think I'm easy to talk to. Um, yeah. I'm always open for some chats. Um, so everyone is welcome here. Yeah. But dude, that's awesome. Thank you so much for for taking the time to hop on and just kind of go on that journey with me for a little bit. Um, dude, look forward yeah, to Thanks it. for having me. Thanks yeah. for having me. I hope that helps some people into whatever direction. That, I hope so as well. <laughs> I hope so as well. Well, dude, enjoy the rest of your day. And, uh, and you know, we'll, you chat, we'll chat later, buddy. Enjoy the next seven hours of flight, guys. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.